Support for this podcast comes from ODC Dance. The world-class company returns for Dance Downtown, March 27th through the 31st, with two electrifying programs and five works, springing from cartoon, the news, and human connection. ODC.dance slash downtown. Support for KQED Podcasts comes from Star One Credit Union, now offering real-time money movement with instant pay. Make transfers and payments instantly between financial institutions, online or through Star One's mobile app. Star One Credit Union, in your best interest. From KQED. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. California's second largest reservoir, Lake Oroville, is low, so low, in fact, that late last week, the state was forced to shut down its hydroelectric power plant there. Water officials called it one of many, quote, unprecedented impacts we're experiencing in California as a result of our climate-induced drought. For more on that impact, we're joined now by Dan Brecky, editor and reporter for KQED News. Hi, Dan. Hi, Mina. Thanks for coming on. I I saw Justin Sullivan's shocking images of Lake Orville that you posted, I think more than a week ago. The lake really is so low. Can you um, put in context for us just how low it is? Um, It's lower than it's been since it was filled in the uh, late 1960s. Um, Before uh, this past week, uh, the lowest level it had ever reached was during a really historic drought in uh, 1976-77. Uh, it fell to about 645 feet above sea level. That's the surface elevation. And, um, you know, I mean, the numbers only tell part of the story. I mean, as you alluded to, uh, you know, Justin Sullivan and other photographers, including Department of Water Resources, which runs Lake Oroville and Oroville Dam, have really been recording what's going on. And, and, it, and it is scary and dramatic, and that's why it's getting attention. So now, the, you know, the lake is falling. It's fallen below that historic low level. And uh, the department has said it could go as low as, it could go down another 25 feet probably before we get the fall rains. And of course, let's cross our fingers that um, the fall rains are robust. And another first is the fact that uh, the low lake levels have forced the shutdown of the hydroelectric power plant. Can you talk about how unprecedented that is as well? I believe that power plant was built, what, in 1967? Yeah, that was built along with the dam. It's sort of in the foundation of the dam. It's uh, embedded in uh, uh, the rock uh, underneath one side of the, uh, the dam embankment. And, um, or abutment, I guess they call it technically, you know, um, the Department of Water Resources uh, runs something called the State Water Project, which is uh, one of the great engineering feats um, in in U.S. history and in uh, world water history. And one of the things that goes along with running this project is uh, it needs a lot of power. Um, the, The State Water Project has to send power, send water from Oroville up, you know, sort of the top of the Feather River, uh, all the way down to Southern California, um, up over the Tehachapi's famously, they have mm-hmm. to pump water. So it uses a lot of electricity and a lot of, uh, and, and the trade-off is that they generate a lot of electricity. So most of that comes from this Hyatt power plant in the, uh, the dam foundation. 
And um, it's significant. It's a it's a big, you know, potentially very big power generator. And it's uh, something that, you know, is sort of there in the background with a lot of other hydropower dams that we have that uh, really, um, you know, keep the, the grid healthy. And water regulators said that, you know, they anticipated this loss of power generation, that they've taken steps to do that. But how much power does it actually generate for California? You talk about why it's so important and will would we feel the impact of this uh, hydroelectric power plant going offline? Well, so there are a couple ways of looking at this. One is, uh, you know, how much power potentially comes from the Oroville facility. So you have this Hyatt power plant we've been talking about, and then there are some other uh, facilities just downstream. It's kind, kind of a, a complex that, uh, you know, of, of hydropower facilities. And they can supply roughly, uh, you know, 5% of uh, the hydropower capacity in the state, which is a lot. And during the, the peak uh, periods of power use in the state, you know, on the, the very hottest days that we've had, say, over the last five years, um, there's a potential generation there at the dam complex of providing, again, about 5% of that maximum power. Now, now here's the caveat. Rarely do any of these facilities uh, operate at 100%. So while they, they may have the capacity to power, you know, provide electricity for hundreds of thousands of homes, um, that's not really, you know, that's an unusual situation for them to be to be maxed out if they ever are. Um, for instance, one of the generation units at uh, the Hyatt power plant was offline for five years, just went back online last year and was coming up to full capacity this year. Um, in terms of, um, you know, what it means for you know, the, the much feared and much talked about uh, rotating power outages like we saw a year ago this yeah. week. Um, it's, you know, the, the state, you know, both the uh, California Energy Commission and the California Independent System Operator, you know, really the two agencies most responsible for our, you know, the health of our power grid, you know, are, are insisting they've they've really been taking this situation seriously. It's, it's been known for some time that hydropower production would be low this year because we had so little rain and snow uh, compared to most years. We're just, you know, we're below half as a state of, of our normal uh, precipitation. So that they knew about this situation. And so they're trying to, they've tried to sort of uh, provide some buffers. And, um, you know, part of that is importing power uh, part of that is encouraging availability of other power sources. So there are sort of auxiliary uh, generation that's uh, power plants that are uh, powered by natural gas, for instance. Uh, not everybody's uh, first choice given our, our climate situation, but um, th they do keep the lights on. And then trying to develop other sources and, and buffers, for instance, battery power, which is uh, becoming a, a bigger factor in, um, in in our power production. Well, let me invite our listeners to join in if they have questions for you about this hydroelectric power plant going down, or also just about the impact of the lake being so low, or maybe 
uh, you want to share your efforts to conserve water or power, give us a call 866-733-6786, 866-733-6786. You can get in touch on Twitter or Facebook at KQED Forum or email us forum at kqed.org. We're talking with Dan Brecky, editor and reporter at KQED News. And uh, I do want to ask you about the impact of the lake being so low, of the water level being so low, not just the fact that this hydroelectric power plant has gone offline. I mean, just it's the second largest reservoir in the state, and it plays a lot of roles. Can you just remind us of some of that, Dan? Well, right. It's the linchpin. You know, it's the, 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 the most important facility in the state water project. And it's got sort of a, a twin or a, um, a close cousin in Shasta Lake which is on at the, you know, close to the headwaters of the uh, Sacramento River. Uh, Shasta Lake is actually uh, somewhat larger. It can store about four and a half million acre feet. Uh, Oroville stores about three and a half million acre feet. Um, those are sort of exotic numbers, but it's a lot of water. They're both very low. Uh, Shasta is at 30% of capacity right now, and Oroville is uh, under 24%. So what does that mean? Well, downstream, you know, the, these are built to supply users downstream, uh, agriculture and cities with water. And um, all the people and agencies who, you know, who hold contracts for that water are largely going without uh, because uh, the supplies are so, so so short. And one thing to keep in mind, I mean, so, you know, that's water, for instance, from the state water project that, I mean, the, the statistics they, they uh, like to cite are, they supply water to agencies, to urban water agencies that uh, uh, serve 27 million people, uh, three quarters of the state's population or two thirds of the state's population. And uh, they supply water to uh, rural uh, irrigation districts that um, supply 675,000 acres of, uh, of farmland. Well, so, so those people are in a squeeze this year. Um, but apart from the supply of, of these uh, far off, uh, you know, cities and farms, you know, these dams sit at the head of rivers not canals, right? So there is a whole ecosystem, uh, probably badly compromised ecosystems at this point that uh, has to be served by the river. So, um, you know, we're talking about, you know, fish and aquatic life. And, um, the, you know, it's a balancing act that's become more and more difficult. And it's extremely difficult uh, now that uh, the lake levels are so low. Well, Bill writes, if losing the hydro plant is so important, maybe we should rethink shutting down Diablo Canyon, which produces about 10 times as much. Do you have a reaction to Bill, Dan? Well, I, you know, I think there is concern about um, whether we'll have sufficient capacity online when uh, Diablo Canyon is retired uh, in the next uh, five years or so. Um, you know, the substitute power is likely to come from other sources. It's likely to come from uh, solar and wind and, and batteries. Um, you know, it, it, in terms of, uh, you know, nuclear power, there's a big discussion to have in the future yes. about whether that's something we want to go further into, but it has been problematic 
here in California. We're talking about the impact of California's drought on Lake Oroville and the power plant there with Dan Brecky, editor and reporter for KQED News. And you can join the conversation by posting your comments on Twitter or Facebook at KQED Forum. You can email us forum at kqed.org. And you can always give us a call 866-733-6786. Again, 866-733-6786. You can Get in touch on Twitter or Facebook at KQED Forum. So Lisa asks, and you're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim, I should say. Lisa asks a question, Dan Brecky, that we often get. We can build oil pipelines across the country. Why not water pipelines from the flood states? Well, you know, um, stealing water is a great California tradition. Um, I mean, that I'm being a little bit facetious, but, um, you know, Los Angeles famously quote unquote, stole the uh, water from the Owens Valley and brought it to, to Southern California to fuel the growth of, uh, of the met metropolis down there. And uh, in a sense, the Sacramento and Feather Rivers have been stolen for uh, customers uh, much further south in the state. You know, the, the truth of the matter is people, ha <clears throat> people have talked a lot about this in the past, about uh, bringing water from Northwestern Canada, for instance, uh, let, let's just go get water from the Mackenzie River. Sounds pretty cool. Or maybe we could uh, bring water from the Great Lakes. You know, the issue is, uh, it's, a, it's a big legal issue, really. Um, those states have water that they don't want to share, and there's absolutely no compulsion to share it. So unless there was some fundamental change in water law and in how we treat uh, national resources, um, there, I don't think there's any prospect. And, and that's putting aside the, the fact of what it would cost to do these things. It would be immensely expensive to, to do any of these uh, mega engineering projects. And can you say a little bit more about the impact on aquatic life? You touched on it just before um, I did the cutaway there, because it is a big focus right now, especially with the 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 real concern about the devastation to salmon populations. Yeah, it's a catastrophic year for salmon populations. Um, you know, during the last drought we had, the particularly bad years of 2013, 14, and 15, um, there's one particular run, the winter run, uh, Sacramento River Chinook salmon, that used to be one of the largest runs anywhere on the planet, uh, was virtually wiped out. Uh, only really kept going because of uh, hatchery production uh, right there on the Sacramento River below Shasta Dam. And um, this year, we're seeing the same thing. It's a, it's a question of having enough water for this particular run in, um, Lake, uh, in Shasta Lake to keep a supply of cold water running down the river so the fish can successfully spawn and then their offspring can uh, successfully, you know, be nurtured and grow in that stream and then live to uh, swim out, swim down the river and out the bay and out to the ocean. It's, that's become virtually impossible with the uh, available water supply and the way the water supply is being managed is not friendly to the fish. And I think the concern is, is that, um, you know, the big commercial run of uh, salmon in California, which is the Sacramento River fall Chinook, 
um, that could face a, a, a disaster this year as well, because water, the water conditions are just uh, hostile. They're deadly, lethal, um, whatever, whatever dire word you want to choose. It's, uh, it's, it's a very bad year for salmon. Well, David writes, the answer is solar power desalination. Let me go to caller Kathleen in Santa Rosa. Hi, Kathleen. Thanks for waiting. Hi. Um, I just wanted to sort of tell some of the things that I do to save water. Uh, the main thing I do is I only bathe about once a week with a sponge bath in between. When I'm running water to get it warm, I save the water that's running to get warm, that we can save multiple gallons a week doing that. It's painstaking, but we do that. We save the water that's heating up for showers. We don't take baths. Uh, we're letting a lot of the plants in our garden get very close to death, we're just watering them only barely enough to keep them alive. When I see people doing things near where I live, washing their cars, I will actually stop and say, you know, you're supposed to go to a, a car wash place where they recycle water. I am willing to alienate people if necessary to inform them about mm. ways they can save water. And I save as much as I can myself. Well, Kathleen, thanks for sharing those tips. And Dan, that is one question that I have is we have seen state officials calling on everyone to reduce water use by 15%. But am I right that they have kind of stopped short from being particularly stringent so far? Yeah, there, there has, there really hasn't been any kind of draconian, you know, mandate that water use must be cut. I mean, uh, we didn't get to that point until pretty far into the, the last drought. Um, you know, part of the reason for that is that, ironically, so supplies for some of the, for some now, I want to emphasize that, uh, some urban water agencies, for instance, uh, San Francisco's and East Bay Municipal D Utility District, those supplies actually look pretty good because, um, you know, they, they fared better over the winter and um, they, they frankly have a little less demand on their systems. If there are other systems, for instance, the, uh, on the Russian River, uh, KQED reporter Ezra David Romero has been reporting on this. There are places on the upper Russian River that are, are really in trouble. Their supplies are dwindling down close to nothing. And they do face strict mandatory um, water regulation. And I would just say to the caller's point, yeah, uh, think everybody needs to think about how they're using water and any place you can save is, is a good thing to do. Well, this listener is also talking about how everybody thinks about the need to conserve power. This listener writes, California's best source of power is increased efficiency, better insulated homes and teaching people no cost and low cost ways of increasing energy efficiency can generate more power than any power plant. Dan Brecky, really appreciate having you on today. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate your reporting, Dan Brecky, editor and reporter for KQED News. And thank you to our listeners for sharing their strategies, their questions, their comments today as, as we look at all the climate impacts that we are trying to address. You've been listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim.
Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio and the Germanicos Foundation and the Generosity Foundation. This is Barbara Leslie, president of the Oakland Port Commission. Oakland International Airport, OAK, is proud to bring you this podcast of KQED's Forum. When you're choosing your next adventure, the smart and convenient choice is to fly the East Bay Way from OAK to destinations across the USA and Mexico. And when you return home, tune in to KQED, always bringing us remarkable stories about who we are and where we live. Enjoy today's episode of Forum. I'm what you might call very good at hide-and-seek. And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house, even in my super-secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite... Ha! Found ya. How? You left to find my tablet on. Get wall-to-wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. A young correctional officer. He said it was the most dangerous prison in California. Forced to make a choice. Fulfill his oath or back his fellow officers. Recognize the badge of my office. I'm Suki Lewis. From KQED Podcasts comes On Our Watch Season 2, New Folsom. A story about who gets hurt when the system that promises to keep us safe is bent on protecting itself. Find it wherever you listen to podcasts.